Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. soft shoe I could really raise some sand I could play the tuba in the middle of a big brass band I could find the cat man and go and do like the cat man do but honey I'm doing all right with you well, I could join the circus I could walk that wire or I might get religion and even join the choir I could go downtown and get a new tattoo but honey I'm doing all right with you yeah, some folks got more dough than they can use but I don't worry I don't sweat honey I got you We've got singer-songwriter Annie Mosier with us on the show today. She's a New Folk Award winner from the prestigious Kerrville Folk Festival and a perennial favorite songwriter in the round at Nashville's Bluebird Cafe. Aaron and I are both uh, huge admirers of her work. Welcome, Annie. Thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. Thank you so much. And there's a lot of connections uh, and conflicts of interest in this program. Um, I'm a longtime friend of Annie's. My wife is one of her best friends. Uh, the album we're discussing, her new album, Goldfish, was she recorded with John Mock, who's been on the uh, show in the past and is a craft brewed music artist. Um, so also, it's a, it's, a, it's a tangled web here today. Yes, it's quite incestuous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the top of the show, we heard the, uh, the first track off uh, the new album called Doing All Right With You which features Annie with uh, John Mock and with uh, the great Byron House on bass. Um, it sounds amazing. Wow. Well, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I wanted to put that first on this record um, because it's a co-write with my uh, beloved friend who has passed away, David Olney. Hmm. Um, and so that was a really a big heart move on my part. I wanted to, start the record with the only co-write on it and um, kind of as a nod to him and my love and admiration of him. How interesting. So I wanted to talk about this song because I, the, my first couple of listens, I took it as a kind of devotional song to someone else or a, a partner of some kind. Uh, but as I listened more to it and the song talks about, I could do this, I could be this, some people have this, but I'm doing all right with you. And it morphed into a, a person talking to the mirror and to themselves, and kind of like a coming of age song. Like, you know what? Like, I'm okay with that guy. He's, he's, uh, he's all right. <laughs> I love that. I love that interpretation. And I know David will love it too. Um, 
And, you know, I don't think that was on our minds really, but, um, you know, with, with me and him, it's hard to know what was on our minds. It was, it was very organic kind of weird flow. And, um, so, uh, it just kind of poured out and, uh, and we wrote a, a number of songs together and I put this one on the record cause it just, it just made me feel good. <laughs> what, what, what is that process like of, of, of coding? I, I've always had the, the, the solitude driven version of songwriting. What, what is the, what is the collaboration part like for you? Awful. It's absolutely awful. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> I mean, I told David, um, he, he and I have crossed paths for years in Nashville and, he was at a show I did and, and he came to me and said, you know, I'd like to do some work with you. And I was beside myself. I thought, okay, that's some, you know, knock the wind out of me because he was really so very special to me from a distance for so long. I was just a big fan of his. And, um, I was hoping by work, he meant yard work. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's literally, I have, I'm not really phobic about co-writing, but I'm the next thing to it. Um, I'm not good at it. I flounder around. It depletes me. So I freak out. You like out. yard work more? I like yard work more. And I'm going to stand on somebody's coffee table in my boots and say it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I uh, he wanted to write. And he came over to my little house in Donaldson. And I cleaned frantically. <laughs> <laughs> and we sat in the living room and talked. And I told him, I said, "I'm this is... I'm not good at this and um, I fear it. So he, he was ever his um, loving self and um, he just sort of steadfast and calm, a real introvert. And I extroverted all over the place. I had snacks and uh, insanity and, I, <laughs> you know, we, um, we hung out and talked and then pretty soon we were, we were writing together. And what, when I say that, I think he was writing mostly. Every now and then I might add something that felt good to me, but for the most part, he did the heavy lifting and I was really grateful. Wow. Yeah. I love how uh, the listener, I mean, you, you, as a songwriter, you can, you can write songs with a particular intention and then you kind of let it out into the world uh, to be on its own and the listener takes that and does whatever they will with it as i did with this with this song <laughs> yeah i love um, that and, too and, cr and create their own narratives about it uh i actually extrapolated beyond you know this kind of uh, ex you know this coming of age accepting of oneself theme and i was like, oh, there's a lot of that like running as a, as a thread through this album mm. i mean it's kind of like you know a searching for answers and finding like you know revelation there's the happy and free you're the ocean now. And I'm like, like, this is, this is the thing that holds it all together. Oh. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm making this narrative to myself and I'm like, that's, that's probably good. not even what she had in mind. <laughs> yeah, we, we wanted to define not just the one song for you, but the whole album. Yes. I hope so. I, hope so. <laughs> I actually had fear before we um, met today to chat. I had this fear. What if they ask me what the theme is of the album? <laughs> oh, so we, we came prepared yeah. to deliver it for you. Yeah, I'm so yeah. relieved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's nice, Aaron. I love that. We, we never ask opinions. We give them. Yeah. You, uh, thank yeah, you. We'll tell you, we, we'll tell you how your, what your work is about. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. May I have another? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's interesting. So also that, that, that didn't, that's our interpretation. That didn't come to mind for you. Um, in that particular song, you mean? Uh, no, in the as a thread to the album. Oh, you know, maybe <clears throat> there is one one sort of undefined 
um, are, are not very defined feeling I have about the record. And that's, it's a oneness. I feel like in all my songs, I'm the character in every one of them, either I'm the character that I'm singing about or the, you know, it's me, um, being this sort of character that reappears in a lot of my, my songs. But, um, in this record, I feel a real oneness, a real connection to everything, every inanimate object, um, everybody, just this sense of we are, we are one thing. And, um, it, that was sort of my private feeling, but it certainly happened just by mistake. Wasn't anything I planned. So when you say you're the character, mm-hmm. do you mean that in some way, metaphorically, however, it's about you or there's an autobiographical component to it? Or do you mean that when you perform it, you inhabit the character? I think both, Brian. I think um, there's a character, there's a place that I tend to write and sing from that um, is um, sort of the same character and has appeared in a lot of the songs in other albums I've written. Um, a little bit of a lovelorn, uh, goofy weirdo. And, um, that's the place from which I write a lot of these songs, the zany songs, um, and the more, I think, um, the deeper songs. I, I feel like that, that person who's a little bit, um, like in a song I wrote a long time ago, um, salvation, um, knock need and lonely. That's sort of the place from which I write (laughs) Kind, Mm. kind of, um, goofy and, um, sweet maybe. Mm hmm. And is that something that you kind of became aware of in, in hindsight and is inescapable or something that you've always kind of leaned into is, is I want to fully inhabit this voice and this personality as whether it's a narrator or whether it's the observer or whether it's, you know, Annie Mosier in the song. I, I think it kind of sneaked up on me and I realized with a lot of my music, oh, I'm her again. <laughs> so I don't know that I ever sharpened it. And I don't think I even uh, bring it into focus now on purpose, but I do. Um, I do feel like uh, she emerges pretty much in every song somehow. Yeah, uh, it's something that uh, I think Brian and I both uh, kind of hit upon in our in our separate ways as we were uh, listening to your songs. Uh, that there's there's something that's really. Uh, almost impossible to imitate about the way you deliver the music, um, the lyrics and, and, and the guitar playing that's very specific and very personal mm. and anyone else doing it would be, would be really difficult to have it be as, as authentic as, as you make it sound. Mm. Well, I mean, I appreciate hearing that as a singer songwriter. And also, uh, you know, it kind of scares the hell out of me because <laughs> that, because I'll, it, it reaffirms what I've heard for years, which is nobody's going to do this music but me. <laughs> you know, um, I've I've sometimes fantasized that I could make the big pitch to an artist and say, hey, listen to my weird song about a dead goldfish and maybe you'll want to do it. Um <laughs> and, and make millions and it'll it'll skyrocket to number one. And the, and. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it feels very far-fetched to me, not out of the question, but sometimes very far-fetched because, um, as you said, it's, it's quite personal stuff and it's, it feels to me really, um, bizarre. And I, I love it for that reason. I love 
what I'm doing for that reason, but um, certainly for the big pitch, I'm not sure Celine Dion's picking up any of this stuff anytime soon. <laughs> I heard an interview with her recently where she is actually on the hunt for dead goldfish songs. I hope so. You know, I... <laughs> there's a lot of competition, but you should <laughs> right. toss your hat. And, That's yeah. right. It's a marketable topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting, you know, and I, having been in Nashville for so long, I know that's a thing. Um, but I feel, you know, I don't know. You, you hear, you turn on the radio and it just seems like it's a race to the bottom, you know, lowest common denominator. Yeah. I feel stuff, that and, you're, and you're creating art, you know? Well, I, thank you. Thank you. It's interesting when so, you're talking about characters or you, that the oneness of a character, because we were talking about, Aaron and I were talking about um, the, the different characters that, that crop up and how distinct they are and how after such a short, even after such a short uh, exposure to them time-wise, you feel this relationship or this, you know, deeper knowledge of them. Mm. Yeah. Like we all, we, we kind of, we know Bill. And you know we want, we want him to go home too. I mean, he's all, yeah, you do. We all know Bill. Yeah. And I actually, I wrote that. I wrote that about a guy. I can't even say the name. I, I changed the name, but it was actually based on a real guy. Isn't that shameful? No. Probably multiple real guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But, but specifically you had one in mind. <laughs> I, had, I had one in mind. <laughs> out at this bar you're always much too drunk to know how drunk you are so i'm gonna tell you what no one else will everyone hates your guts you need to go home bill go through the crowd you sit up front then you talk through the show everyone wants to kill you bill it's time to go COVID time too. I mean, um, it, that was such an abysmally dark time for me as a, as a writer. I mean, for everybody, for yeah. every reason, yeah. but certainly, you know, there was no more 
there was nowhere to play. And for me, there was very little to write about. I felt pretty dry. Um, so I wrote about Bill, you know, <laughs> that, that, that is one of the, for me, the best lines on the whole album when it hits that uh, bridge and we need some sort of Messiah who will save us <laughs> from this guy who will not leave. I love, I love that line. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, it's a bold line, but, and, and to that <laughs> effect, who's going to, what? there may be a country superstar who's going to boldly sing some sort of Messiah, but you know, um, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're out there. Celine might do it. Right. In French. <laughs> the lesser known anti-beer song on country radio. <laughs> um, so, I mean, but for a song like, like Go Home Bill, like that, that same uh, narrator character is there with her particular uh, comic timing and taking a, a beat and, and using the voice in a very theatrical way to, uh, t- to make things land in, the, uh, in the, the funniest or most poignant way. And it's it struck uh, it struck the both of us as, as something that's difficult to render in a recorded environment. Uh, oh yeah, where, where playing this character seems to be something that that uh, you know thrives most in a live environment. And I'm curious to ask you about the mechanics of trying to render uh, render this character in this studio. Well, that's you just said it. Um, I. Um, <clears throat> I, I always fear going into the studio because I'm not sure I ever feel really myself. Um, and part of that is because I value the live performance so much. It's my favorite thing to do. And I like to talk to my audience and sometimes I chat mid song or, um, you know, sometimes I, I like where the live moment takes us and, um, that's the basis of my performances is I want to tell stories. I want to hear from my audience. I want to make heart to heart connection with them. I want to see their faces and I want to, you know, if I, if I have a, a, forget the lyrics to my songs, mid song, you know, that's okay. (laughs) It, you know, let's see what happens while I flounder around and it comes (laughs) back up. I, I think that's all very beautiful to me. And so Going into the studio has created a lot of a lot of letdown for me in the past because I can never really feel like I can I, I'm grabbing what it is I do, mm. um, and this last record for sure um, felt very good to me in that John Mock, who's just a wonderful producer, oh, and a wonderful man, um, he just said, "Well, let's just do it live time, you and your guitar." And so I played and sang at the same time. And I did most of the songs in just a couple of takes because um, I felt like this is, if I, if I could get myself to a, a place where in my mind I was sitting at the Bluebird Cafe in a round of four with my mm-hmm. heart people there in the audience, um, I could just do it the way I felt it. And that's, that's what we did. We, we got through the guitar vocals very quickly because... Um, I felt okay that way. I felt like, well, whatever comes up, comes up. <laughs> so that's how we approached it this time. And I think that comes across. I think uh, Lou Vane's a great example, I think, of kind of capturing. Uh, as I hear that on the album, I can picture you, you know, delivering it at the Bluebird. 
Oh, good. That's, know, that was then mission accomplished for me. I mean, that really is mission accomplished. I thought if I can get something here that captures what I'm going to, what you're going to hear from me at the Bluebird or at a house concert, which is my second favorite thing to do, <laughs> um, then I've, I've done the job I wanted to do. Boy, she sure is real high dollar. You ought to hear her holler when she calls her dogs inside. She goes, Rufus, old red Robert E. Lee, Blue Rambo, Smith and Wesson, Chicken Bone. Hey, you want me to tan y'all's hides? It's such a crying shame about that woman, Louvain. She thought. She could take my sweet talking slow walking Cadillac lover with the Georgia roots and the ostrich boots and the nice backside so high and wide you could sit there at a bar table eating peanuts and bounce quarters off it all night long. Oh, high dollar boy, she sure is real high dollar. You ought to hear her holler when she calls her dogs inside. And there's there's so much. Uh... Uh, ebb and flow to the uh, to the timing. Uh, I think sometimes for comic effects, sometimes for dramatic effects. So I assume there was no click track. When no you were click tracking track, which is so freeing to me. Um, oh my gosh, that's really helpful for me. I like um, and and a lot less helpful to musicians playing with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for for those of our listeners who who don't know, you typically in the studio you're recording to a to a metronome called a click track and so everybody's playing you know in tempo with each other particularly because you're not always uh playing at the same time and haven't rehearsed together as a band yeah yes and i've done plenty of projects using a click and you know you get oh that's another thing i did differently i was gonna say you've got your headphones on you're hearing constantly yep and it really drives my spirit right out of my body <laughs> in not a good way. And, and man, I'm grateful to John Mott because he understood that. Um, and he said, right, don't use one. And this is the first recording I've ever made of anything without headphones. Um, hmm. I just, I said, I'm not doing headphones. I'm going to play my guitar and sing into the mic. And I really valued that this time around because I realized with headphones on, I change the way I sing a lot. Yes. Um, and it can get the sound of my own voice um, in the headphones can get, it can sound a lot tastier than it is, you know, if they've got the right amount mm -hmm. of reverb and um, it's real crisp and clean. So I might pull way back off notes because they sound so clear and crisp in the headphones. And that's not the way I sing. So I wanted to have the headphones set aside almost as if they were um, judge and jury. You know, I, di I didn't want that analysis. Hmm. I wanted to just do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always taken aback at what my voice sounds like in the headphones. Uh, and I find it so distracting that it definitely, uh, it, it alters uh, and makes me much more timid yes. in the way, the way I sing. Me too. And for that reason, I don't sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
And me too, Aaron. I mean, I find that you're right. It makes me more timid and I, that's not me. You know, I ain't, I ain't no shrinking violet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Brian had mentioned that at one point there was the a concept of possibly having like a, 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 a studio audience for this recording. Yes. And that was, um, I met with John Mock on my birthday three years ago at a Starbucks and uh, I said, I got this amazing idea. I want to just get 10 or 15 friends in. Um, maybe even, you know, go find a studio on the row or, um, and turn down the lights and I'll just do a house. I'll just do a house show. And then about, oh, 15 days later, the world just shut down with oh, COVID. Mm. <laughs> And so that idea kind of fizzled and we could have recaptured it when we began recording just, but it was still, I started recording this a couple years ago, really. Um, and it just, I, it still didn't feel right to say, Hey, would you all like to sit elbow to elbow while I breathe <laughs> on you for a couple hours? So that idea <laughs> perished and, and, and we reinvented it ideally with a similar spirit. Hmm. Yeah. I know it may be dangerous, but I need your laughter. I need your laughter <laughs> at the cost of, no, perhaps. <laughs> well, perhaps for the next one, that uh, that concept can be uh, can be resurrected. Yes, that but, would be uh, great. That's the way I I like to roll. For goldfish, though, what what uh, what you guys created was very very effective, and I think uh, captured that that character in her in her native spirit. Oh, thank you. That's I mean. It's odd. I've had that song for a lot of years and just not recorded it. Um, and I was, I think, just waiting for the right project. And this felt like like it. And, um, you know, I decided to call the record Goldfish because I think that's um, that song is very special to me because I it stemmed from having children and having a, my child make an observation that never left me. When a goldfish dies, hardly anybody cries. It's no big loss and never a surprise. When a goldfish dies, when a goldfish dies. We were just a goldfish, we were just a phase. The life we had together was just a passing craze. We never really loved and we never tried, and so the goldfish died. The goldfish hard to count the cost gone from a supply we never will exhaust when a soldier's lost when a soldier's lost it was just another earthquake just another flood somebody else's child somebody else's blood we hear it on the in stride like a goldfish die It's like a goldfish die la, 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 la. 
truth be told He thinks toys and rocks and clouds have a soul He's four years old He is four years old He clenched his little fists and looked at me and said Today the world is broken so I'm going back to bed I asked him what's the matter and he cried and cried He said my goldfish died My goldfish died When a goldfish dies Hardly Anybody cries Perhaps we should all open up our eyes When a goldfish dies When a goldfish dies I, I think it's, it's one of the most perfect songs uh, I've ever heard. And oh. I, tr I tr I've tried to recapture it myself, uh, but I can't get through it without my voice cracking and just being like, okay, I can't do it. Wow. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. To tell and that's, and that's been sustained because I've, I've, you know, uh, uh, I've, you know, the song has been part of my, uh, uh, consciousness for, for a long time from, you know, my Nashville days back, uh, uh, many moons ago. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, cause I, had a break from it, then came back to it with this new recording. And it's still, uh, it hits me in a very um, visceral way, uh, but even more so now. And I, I'm wondering, you know, I mean, we live in a world now where your access to news of tragedy uh, is, is uh, you know, wide open and the, you know, the human brain can, can only do so much uh, grief and empathy. And we've um, had a fire hose of it for the last few years. You're right. <laughs> That's it. Oh, you're right. And yeah. so I'm curious, you know, as a, as a listener and a fan of the song, uh, I've, I've, my journey with it has, has changed over, I don't know, a, a decade it's been since I heard it first. Mm -hmm. uh, but for you, even more so as the, as the creator and performer of it, I'm, I'm wondering how that song uh, has evolved with you over the years. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I feel a, a slightly more powerful or different message now, I think, with age. Um, and it's funny, I, I remember, you know, right through my teen years, exactly like I said in the song, I would hear about an earthquake that killed thousands of people. And I would have an instant sort of quick pain of, oh my gosh. And then it was gone from me. And part of the reason, in hindsight, um, is that I think hearing about these tragic events globally, you, you think there's, there's part of me that used to think, well, those people, I can't really identify. Those people live in a different place so far away. Those people aren't like me. And then with age, I, you know, I realize, well, those people are like me and they, they are me really where this is this oneness that I believe in. Those people are, 
are me and I am them. And, um, you know, they've nursed babies and bought cars for their kids and, um, you know, cried over goldfish. And we are, we are that, we are all that. And so now for me, especially right now where, um, you know, we choose to love or hate other people for, for, um, how similar they are to us. Sometimes people do that. Um, I think, um, it's important to me on that level. We, we are the same and, and, um, there's a strong drive, you know, to, to other people, uh, to turn them into the the other. And it, it, there's not as, there's not a strong, a, a movement out there to same people to, you know, to make them, uh, similar to, uh, to us and their experience. And I think yeah. the, the power of, of, uh, of goldfish is this blending of the personal sentiment and the universal sentiment mm. in Thank such like such a compact, compact expression. I mean, it's, it's, re- it's really, uh, um, it's really a, a, a powerful, uh, blending that, uh, that you've pulled off. Thank you. Aaron. Thanks. And, you mentioned buying cars for for kids. The four year old in the song just got a car the other day, right? He just got a car. Yeah. To date um, the to date the song. To date the song and the kid <laughs> and the writer <laughs> and me. <laughs> yes, I watched him pull out of the driveway this morning. He drove to school. Um, our uh, their kids the kids' high school is downtown, so it's about ten miles. And um, off he went, and I stood with hot tears of shock and pride on my face as I watched him drive down the road. I guess that's just, you know, my mom even tells me that just never goes away. (laughs) Yeah. Now in the song, uh, he, you know, attaches this, this meaning and this, um, import to this event that, that we tend not to, and that's the whole point. Um, and that's a childlike, you know, uh, bit of wisdom has he like we all have kind of moved past that and and become more um you know jaded and cynical in, in the normal ways that we do as we grow up or, or has he somehow retained that and or and has this song somehow called that to his attention in any way um i'm not sure if the song's called it to his attention that's something that with teenagers they may tell me later but they have mm. <laughs> they have yet to, <laughs> yeah. yet to uh cue me in on any of that if that's what's happening for them but he's really um a very sensitive kid and i know he's still that's that's still his his role in life is everything is interconnected and and things hurt i think sensitive kids have that uh cross to bear a little bit things that yes. hurt really hurt <laughs> Yeah. And it's a problem if you don't learn how to gate some of that. Yes. Uh, uh, Because then if it overwhelms you, you can just be so crippled by anxiety and just daily grief by what the world's delivering you that uh, you can't, you know, move on and function, do the things you have to do. That's right. I think the shell thickness on all of us is, it varies. And some of us are a lot closer to having no shell. (laughs) Yeah. I have, I have, I have one of those at my house too. Mm. But it's well, a beautiful, it's a, be- a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that they retain that. But it's it's a it's a risk, yeah, as well to have that kind of uh, thin shell. That's right. Well, it's a fine line that you're looking um, to walk in terms of the message of the song, where you need some shell to protect your sanity, but 
a lot of us have maybe have too much shell, you know, and you've mm-hmm. got to let in mm-hmm. the uh, the meaning of some of these events that are so easy to dismiss. going to take a quick intermission to shamelessly plug our new product, the Craft Brewed Music Pint Glass. It delivers our music discovery streaming app via a QR code printed on the glass. There's no sign up, there's no subscription. You buy the glass and you'll have access to the app free and forever. Available at our website at craftbrewedmusic.com. There's a musical effect uh, illustrated in that song as well that comes up in a few other songs, and that is um, where you kind of portray the lyric or, or sort of use the the musical accompaniment to word paint. In the song, he talks about the world being broken today. And in that verse, then the melodic lines start to be broken. Mm. And um, which I think is really interesting. It, it happens in a couple of other places, I think quite um, prominently in the album, like in the beginning of the song Louvain. Um, there's this kind of chord in the very beginning that kind of adds something to the zaniness of the character of Louisiana. Yes, Louisiana. I know exactly the chord. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then even in, in the wedding, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. one moment where right. everything's moving along nice, nice and beautiful. And then there's this moment musically yeah. that becomes ominous. Teardrop earrings It's really interesting the skill with which you uh, or the economy with which you write and and do what you need to do in three minutes, aided further, I think, by these devices that express things musically that would take more words that maybe we don't have time for. I mean, I love that you just said all that to me because I know what I'm doing there when I use those chords, but I don't. And you just said what I'm doing because really, I mean, I don't know. uh, I'm quite a remedial player and I don't know what chord I'm playing. And that's been really challenging to, for musicians who play with me to hear, you know, they'll say, where are you going? And I'll say to this one and I'll just have to hold it up. (laughs) I know how to make a scary sound on the guitar. um, If I feel scared or scary and I know how to make a happy sound. (laughs) Really that's sort of how I play because um, that's all I got. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 such a, a a poignant moment because it's 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 kind of this pre-chorus or B section. It sounds like it's going to be really pretty, hmm. uh, and you're describing all these lovely things that are going on at this wedding scene in this autumn day, and in that that one little 
dissonant chord, suddenly like all of the narrator's pain and something as Brian says, something more ominous or perhaps sinister is, is at play. That's right. And both. It, it I think swoops both. in. Yep. Yep. That's right. In another setting, it might take another verse to do that, but you just did it musically in one little Oh, moment. thanks. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> it was accidental, somewhat accidental. I've, um, I've been on a, a short story kick of, of late, uh, some Hilary Mantel and, and uh, George Saunders, and uh, kind of admiring the, the, the compact form and how you have to really cut out anything that's non-essential when you're building a setting, building your characters and, and building this, you know, this, this small plot. And songwriting, I feel, is like even a more, you know, microcosmic version of this. Where like anything extra you got to cut out and figure out ways to take a single line and really advance the story. And uh, I think you're very good at that with the uh, the text alone, but then with these bolstering elements uh, from the, uh, the the harmony and also what you do with your voice. It it really it really creates a, a fantastic economy of, uh, of of plot development. Oh, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate that and. I've always, I, I love short stories and I've written short stories, uh, all my life. I mean, not so much in the last 10, 15 years, but I started writing stories when I was really young. And if honestly, if I could start every song I've ever written with once upon a time, I, I probably <laughs> would. Uh, I love stories. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you a uh, person who has dozens of revisions? Not, I'm not, I guess, for stories and for songwriting. Like, what, what for the process is it? Is it uh, constantly rehashing, or is it, or is it more of a a spontaneous outflowing? I would say it's a spontaneous outflowing, although it takes me some time. So, um, I might have two lines that I've been singing for years, and they might find I might discover that they're the middle of a song, really. Um, and then when I'm finally ready to write it, I get that feeling that that <laughs> indescribable feeling, and I sit till it's done, and then there are no more revisions. Mm -mm. Hmm. Uh, another favorite of mine that I find more uh, opaque, I guess, to interpret as a listener is uh, July Valentine. Yeah, it's a uh, one. one of my favorites, and it's basically <laughs> these three. It is weird, and I, the oh, weirder yeah. you get, Annie, the better it is. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's it's just it's basically three vignettes, these these little scenes that you describe. One with the the the, the old chocolate on top of the refrigerator. One with these weird patterns on the ceiling, and then my favorite, which is the the farm goose trying to chase the wild geese and, <laughs> and catch up. Yes. July Valentine I'm strange but I'm sweet like the chocolate you eat from on top of the fridge that you put there five months ago but it still looks good so you try it and whoa you're so glad that you did I'm the crack in the ceiling of your childhood 
the cold winter chill Staring up at the shapes that the crack and stain makes Like the whale and the nun, you remember them still part really really hit me in a very personal way because i i see things like that in in nature in life uh and have that simultaneous sense of that's ridiculous and like yep. you do it guy you, you got it, you got it. <laughs> yep, I feel, yes yes and i and i expanded my my narrative that i you know started this discussion with that like like here's yet another example of like annie's reached this moment in her life <laughs> and, she's, <laughs> and she's just shaking hands with that person <laughs> <laughs> I am a weirdo. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. And I mean, if I could have called the record, I'm the goose, I would. <laughs> and I mean it. Like, if I'm anybody and if I'm anything, I'm the goose. And I've, I felt that when I wrote it. And that's what came first for me is this visual, visual I had of myself. Kind of a cartoon gangly goose like paddling down the runway and uh, you know lifting off as hard as I could go for these majestic wild creatures and I feel that way all the time I'll be honest you know like a cartoon goose with a little guitar around it yep yep (laughs) maybe this is a like a a animated music video in the the (laughs) it is that would be perfect (laughs) yeah I mean is that one uh I mean did you have, uh, I mean, I'm never going to ask you like what, what a song means, but, uh, was, was there a more strict narrative in your head or, or were, were these, uh, images that, uh, that, uh, that seemed to fit together that you wanted to uh, put together in a song? It sounds yeah. to me like you're asking what it's about, Aaron. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that without. It's a thinly veiled ask. <laughs> you did not want to ask. The trick is no. Brian to, to ask the question without asking the question. <laughs> you just use different words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, that it's so weird. And I don't ever, in a live show, I never know how to set it up. And it's different every time. But there's a there's a um, feeling in me of, yeah, I'm the chocolate on the fridge. I'm, I'm certainly the gangly goose. I mean, 
deep down and I'm, um, I'm the whale and the nun stain on the ceiling, you remember. And to me, it's I'm one, I'm everywhere. And it's very, really what was on my mind and heart um, was that a little bit of we go around and we come around. And, <laughs> you know, I wrote it after shortly after my dad died. And I was really um, feeling very expansive in that space of, wow, he's gone, but he's not. And man, uh, that was big for me. And then I be, it began to become very existential for me. I will be gone, but I won't. Um, so that was the place the song came from. And then I had the goose vision, like, that's me. And you, you know, I, I am that and, and we are that. That's sort of, I guess it's, it's kind of Buddhist, but that's where I was when I wrote it. Hmm. And I was that and I'll be that again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about happy and free. Speaking of speaking of Buddhism yeah. and the, uh, the 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 spiritual leader therein, yeah. Well, I mean, I I <clears throat> that song starts when I say the Dalai Lama spoke to me. Well, he did not. I mean, I wish he had, but um, but that was a really clear vision. I love the Dalai Lama, and um, <laughs> I felt uh, like uh, my, I wrote it because my son got a bonsai tree. Actually, down in Atlanta, I was at a festival and I gave him 40 bucks and I said, you can walk around and do your own thing. And uh, he came back with this bonsai tree and I was like, oh, God, no, because they're so hard to keep alive. You know, they're these delicate, beautiful things. And you think Mr. Miyagi and you think I'm going to I'm going to become one with this tree. And yeah. we did, we killed it within <laughs> two weeks. Really awful. But um I felt something in that time so connected with this little little tree. And once again, I was thinking, here I go again. I'm in, in this odd time of my life. I'm I'm that. That's me. We're we are one. And um I sort of you know puppeteered what the Dalai Lama would say to me, but yeah, there's, there is a place that sometimes I can get to in like a five minute meditation with nothing. I might get there for just three seconds in the meditation where I'm there, I'm happy and free. And it's, it's marvelous. It's magical. And I want to use that more in, in my writing. The Dalai Lama spoke to me when he visited my city. He held his hand up in front of me. He said, you are happy. You are free. I hung my head. My heart was breaking. For I knew he was mistaken. The Holy Master, he could not see the pure disaster that was me.
out my window, a little tree. Tiny branches they reached for me, and at once I saw what he could see. We are happy. We are free. 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 We are happy. We are. And so the. The, uh, the theme, I guess, that's emerged, or one of them, of, of unity and oneness, is kind of how you wrap it all up as well with uh, You're the Ocean Now. Yes. I mean, yeah, without a doubt. I wrote that after my dear friend uh, Rob passed away. And um, definitely, I mean, um, it, it uh, I felt again, similar to when my dad passed, I felt Rob everywhere. I felt him in the back of my mind and I felt him in the air and I could feel his smile almost. Very unusual time for me, right? Right. You know, the month or two after someone passes. Um, and so that song was for him. And, you know, I wrote it for him and I find myself disappointed that um, he didn't hear it in his in his human hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I comfort myself by the thought that he hears it through me and through you and through, through the world. You're the ocean now. You're the trees. You're the Tennessee River and an upstate August breeze. You're a biker dude. You're a high school queen. You're a Berlin night and a hot girls magazine. You're a chocolate cake and a minivan. You're a lion's mane and a lover man. Thank you for listening. Craft Brood Music, both the podcast and the Music Discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brood Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbroodmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.